we're in Luke's gospel, and uh, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to be thinking about uh, an account that, uh, sorry, Jesus tells that we often refer to as the prodigal son, or the lost son. Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to start reading at verse 11 if you want to follow along, but feel free just to listen if you'd prefer. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And they began to celebrate. Father, we pray now as Christy comes to to share with us, Lord, that we would uh, indeed hear from you as we explore your word. Father, we pray that we would have ears that are open and hearts that are responsive in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ian. Good morning, everyone. Well, talking about school... (laughs) There's a, there's a slide that is going to come up uh, just now as Julie's helping me. And uh, some of you would remember your school days. Uh, when you made a mistake in your writing, and we're starting from top left. This is uh, probably the most mature people in the congregation. Mature with a double sense of the word. You know, you had a rubber that you just uh, went over whatever you wrote that wasn't the right answer. Um, I don't really know whether you use that device. It was certainly used when I was in school. Uh, it's a pen with two ends. One end was kind of white that you actually um, erased your... We were, we were brought up on fountain pens. We weren't allowed any sort of biros or any fountain pens. Yeah, Calligraphy, fountain pens, handwriting. And then you erased with one end, and then with the other end, you were able to write over the bit that you erased, but... You could really tell. You could really tell. That device at the top right, I've never used it. Anybody used it? A few people have used it. People that have been into kind of, yeah. 
<laughs> certain types of jobs. And then you've got Tipex right down at the bottom. Probably everybody knows that. And this is, this is the beast. So this is a pilot friction pen, which is the friend of all kids in school right now. And it's, it's magical because you can write and you can just use the top and through the heat you erase whatever you've written. It's brilliant. Great. Wouldn't it be great if in life we had some sort of a device that we could just erase every single mistake that we've ever made? I mean, who in here doesn't have a regret? You know, and, and some of you, you just need to remember this morning, the conversations you've had this morning. And you're thinking, we're just going to have communion. And I'm kind of regretting some of the things that I've said to some of the people in my family. Never mind last week or last month or 15 years ago. But we all live with a sense of regret and uh, a real sense of, I wish I could make this go away and make it better. And sometimes, or most of the time, it's the things we say, but sometimes it's just the big things in life. Mistakes that we make. Bad decisions. Or sometimes, regret over opportunities we've never taken. And you wish you could do it over. You you wish you could go with an eraser over it and change it. And in some ways, the same is true spiritually speaking for all of us. There are things that we've done in our lives that we just wish We could make it go away. And the good news that Jesus tells through this wonderful story that Ian just read to us is that it is possible. An erasing of the past and a new start is possible because of Jesus. So Jesus tells what is known in the Bible as a parable. And the parable is a very simple story. Very much anchored in daily realities. So whenever Jesus was telling a parable, people could identify with the elements in the story. There were things that would have been very familiar to them. But actually, it had a spiritual truth attached to it. It it had to do with what Jesus was doing in teaching spiritual truths. And very often, although it was simple, so simple that often even a child could understand it, it was subversive. It was getting under people's skin. And very often there were people in the audience to whom Jesus was trying to get a message through. And this is probably one of the most well-known parables of Jesus. The story of the prodigal son. And really it's fairly simple. The youngest son, the father has two sons. The youngest son comes to the father and says, give me my inheritance. He goes away, goes all the way to Dubai. Blows the money, you know, on partying, champagne, everything that you can imagine, you know, going to the expensive, you know, whatever his name is, the geezer that does the, you know, 1,200 pound steaks. Obviously, not many of you are on Instagram. (laughs) Never mind. You're not missing much. He goes away and does it, and then he's bankrupt, has no more money, and he ends up in a real mess. And we'll pick up the story as he goes along. But one thing that is really striking is actually there's a real parallel between this young man that Jesus brings into the story, this younger brother, and our own predicament towards God. And there are several stages that you can observe in his life and in in, in this story that are actually mirroring very often our own life story and everything that's going on. And the first one is pretty simple. It's the rebellion that he has. He comes to his father and he says, give me my inheritance. Now, Technically, legally, he was allowed to ask for that. 
It was legal, but it wasn't loving. Because it was expected to happen when the father dies. That's when you get your inheritance normally. You get your inheritance when, when your father dies. And the older son would have got the double portion and the younger son would have got less. But he comes inappropriately early and he rebels. Why? Probably extreme formal. He really wanted to make sure that all the things that other people were talking about that were so exciting somewhere else apart from home that he was going to go and throw himself in it. Everything. Obviously, he didn't have Instagram at the time, but probably there was some sort of a way for people to show, this is so good, just go to this place, go to this town, go to this city, get involved in the nightlife, get involved in all the things that hedonism are promising you, and you're just going to love it. And he buys into it. Grass is always greener on the other side. And he goes for it. And he asks his father for the money. Because he wants to run away. He wants to go away. And everybody in the audience that Jesus is talking to would have been shocked. First, they probably would have been shocked at the rudeness towards the father. And if it wasn't rudeness, if you wanted to be a bit more soft, you would have said he was at least insensitive towards the father. It's almost like he was saying to his dad, I wish you'd be dead. So I can have fun. He would have been very careless towards his other brother. And some of you who are living or have a background in the farming community, you begin to understand a little bit more of the intricacies of this. You know, because there are times when people as brothers and sisters are supposed to shoulder the, the, the burden of the family business or the family farm. And sometimes one of them just doesn't pull their weight. It's not easy for those who are left to pull their weight. So he probably would have been uncomfortable towards the older brother. And certainly in a community that was very tightly knit. This wasn't just the brother waving goodbye to the father and his brother. But it was a little bit of a waving goodbye to the, fam- to the whole community that he was part of. So everybody that heard this story would have been nodding disapprovingly of what he'd done. Because this is a no-no. You just don't do that to your family. You don't do that to your brother. You don't do that to your father. And he rebelled and he decided to do this, abdicating any responsibility and just going for selfishness. I want to do what I want to do, never mind anybody else. And he goes away. And the story turns out to be good, but short-lived. The good times are very short, very brief. And he enters the next stage of this where he is ruined. He loses all his possession. Look at verses 14 to 16. As Luke describes Jesus' parable. It says, uh, not long after that, the youngest son got together. All he had went for a distant country and then squandered all his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything. There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So we went and hired himself to to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of the pigs that they were eating, but no one gave him anything. After the good times, 
bad times kick in, and they really do. And he finds himself in a horrendous predicament because basically he lost all his possession, so all his inheritance was squandered. It was all gone. And as it usually happens in life, when you lose your money, you lose your fake friends. Everybody wants to be your friend while you've got the money, and they can be just hangers-on in terms of the parting and everything else. When it's gone, it's gone, and there's nothing else that's left in this. And the son really begins to understand how horrendous the whole experience is in this. It reminds me of uh, some of the things that George Best, the famous footballer, said. He said, I spent, Pete's laughing, I spent 90% of my money on women, drink, and fast cars. The rest I wasted. (laughs) And to the news of the world, on his dying bed, he simply said this sentence. Don't live like me. That would have been the experience of the younger son. He just wasted everything. Everything was gone. And actually, there's so much irony in what is happening because he went to find his freedom. You, you know that feeling. Some of you have been 16 or 18 and you moved away from home in, in, in the search of freedom. I want to get my freedom. And it doesn't take long before you realize you've got to pay bills. You've got to pay money for food. Food doesn't just grow on trees and you can just help yourself. You, you know, you've got to pay heating bills. I mean, I wonder what it's going to be like for those 16 or 18-year-olds who are kind of leaving home now. But a brutal reality just hit him. And the irony is, he went to find his freedom, but he became enslaved as a servant. He went to find pleasure, and actually what he found is a disgusting state of being. He lost his dignity. He was a Jewish man, and and you would all know that Jewish people don't want to have anything to do with pigs because they're unclean. And he ends up working in such a degrading job that he's actually working with pigs. So while Jesus is telling this story, probably everybody, if he had a a, a reactionary audience, they were probably all making noise and going, oh, that's disgusting. Because that's the reality of how his life became so ruined in everything. He lost his freedom and he lost his dignity. He lost his money. He lost everything. And that's what sin does. We're moving from him to us. We're moving to the spiritual truth that Jesus is trying to get across to the audience and to those of us who are listening. That's what sin does. Sin will promise you that grass is greener on the other side. That's how Satan, and we're going to look at this next week, Satan came to Adam and Eve and he said, you're missing out. Don't obey God. Don't listen to what he says. Do what you want. You're going to be great. You're going to love it. And you cross on the other side, which is supposed to be greener, and you find yourself like him, totally ruined. Because that's what Satan does. That's what sin does. It promises a lot. And it lies every time because it never delivers. He lives as a ruined man and ends up in slavery and poverty like he's never thought it would ever happen to him. But then in verse 17, it says, he came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. There is a moment after the rebellion and the ruin where he returns back home. I love the way Luke puts it. When he came to his senses, you hear that very often when a celebrity or a politician would do something that's terrible. And they would use this phrase, I just wasn't myself. And people would say about them, it's not the kind of thing they would do. It's just not like them. And there is that turnaround moment in this young man's life where he comes to his senses. In other words, he rediscovers his identity. He remembers who he really is. And that's the beginning of the return. I love the fact that he's not crushed by those circumstances and he still has a sense of the big picture. He doesn't lose it all. And there are some steps that he, he, he takes, and Julie's going to help us by putting them on the screen. He, he remembers who he was, or even better, whose he was. He remembers what family he belongs to. That's the beginning of returning home. He begins to remember his identity. So his identity was not, I'm a ruined man who is a failure, who is a big loser, who is feeding pigs. No, he's, the beginning of the return is, I am the son of my father. This is not who I really am. This doesn't define me. And then he remembered what he had lost. He remembers home and everything that home meant. He remembered his family. He remembered that his father, what his father was like. See, this is very crucial. There's a beautiful imprint in his memory of the kindness and the graciousness of the father. Let me tell you, if he didn't have that, he would have never come home. But that was there. And that's what you as parents, those of you who got the privilege of being parents, can do. Imprint into the memories of your children. And I know there are a lot of prodigals connected to our church family right now. Don't be discouraged. Keep on creating that image into their mind. It's okay to come home. He had that image in his mind of what the father was like. He recognizes his sin. He knows the truth. He sees it and he says it. There's no coming back unless he's able to do that. He owns it. He puts his hand up. He says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And as that sort of horizontal vertical, he also realizes that his relationship with God through his rebellion towards his family has been affected. But he also knows that his horizontal relationship with his brother and his father were affected in this. But he tells the truth about sin and he recognizes it. And he regrets it. He doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't say, oh, it was my age. It was my mates. It was the money. No, he doesn't say anything like that. He simply, honestly admits it. And he recognizes and regrets it. And then he returns back home. I love that sense of he got up and went back to his father. It wasn't just a passive, emotional, and mental exercise. 
it moved his feet to go from the state that he was in to actually go towards home and set off in the direction of home. He was decisive about it. And now I'd love to say, let's continue next week to find out what's happened and live it on a cliffhanger. Because I remember the people, I can imagine the people that were listening to Jesus' parable thinking, what's going to happen now? Let me tell you what should have happened now. And if we turn to Deuteronomy 21, this is what should have happened to him. Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 to 23. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother would take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of the town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a profligate and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you and all Israel will hear of it and be afraid. Cliffhanger. The people that Jesus is telling the story are expecting that. Talk about a twist. That's not what happens. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This was an incredible reception, an unexpected one, a shocking one. Everybody who would have listened to this story, knowing the background that I just read you, and knowing how the story should have ended, are thinking, this is not how it's supposed to happen. What's going on? And everything about the reception is stunning. And again, Julie will help me by putting it on the screen. Look what is happening. The father sees him from afar off. That tells me that the father has been looking out for him probably every day, all the time. That was his heart's cry. And everything within the body of the father was communicating that. I'm eagerly looking, hoping that one day my son will return home. He saw him from afar. And then... When he saw him, Luke describes, and he says, he was filled with compassion. He could have been filled with anger, righteous anger, and justifiably so. He could have been filled with disappointment. He could have been filled with bitterness. He could have been filled with a desire to lecture him and point out the wrongs of what he's done. Instead, Luke is quoting Jesus in saying, filled with compassion. He felt for him. Emotionally, he welcomed him. And then he breaks all the Jewish etiquette of the time 
and he runs. A father should never run towards the son. And an older Jewish gentleman should never do that towards a younger person because he was undignified. And yet the father leaves aside all the protocol, all the etiquette, because his kid's coming home. And he's running out to meet him. And when he sees him, he threw his arms around him and kissed him. He just loved him. Again, I love that Jesus uses that language. Threw his arms around him and kissed him. Not a handshake, not a high five. But this is emotional stuff. It's beautiful. Because the father is receiving back his son. There's incredible intimacy here. No hint of distance. And then he, he calls for the people to, to, to bring the sandals, to bring the ring. He's restoring him to his identity. He wasn't just a runaway rude boy that rebelled against his father. He wasn't a boy who needed to be taught his lesson and stay as a slave. The father was saying, this is my son. And I'm going to let everybody know about him. I'm not ashamed of him. Other people may judge him. I'm not ashamed of him. He's my son. And everybody's going to see that he's got full rights to be my son. Visibly. Recognizably. And then he says, let's kill that fattened calf. It's almost as if the father says, all those savings, this, this is the equivalent in our days, all those savings that I put them on the side for some other day, for that big cruise, for that holiday, let's just forget about that. Get them in and throw a party and let's celebrate because my son's back. The one who I thought was dead is alive and that's worth celebrating. So amazing. To see what the father does. And you know this is not just a story that Jesus tells to the people that he's listening. It's a story that Jesus tells on God's behalf for all of us. And everything in this story parallels my life and your life. As humankind. As human beings on this earth. We are the rebellious son. Through our ancestors Adam and Eve we rebelled in the garden of Eden. We decided to go away from home. We decided to take the inheritance and squander it. We decided to put two fingers up to God and say, we want to have it our way. And we don't care about what you think. And the relationship was broken. There in the Garden of Eden. And ever since then, we've been estranged from God. We've been prodigals away. Living with the pigs living in the mud and the dirt and the stench, living hungry, living humiliated. And through the coming of Jesus, the reconciliation is possible because we could never come to our senses. We would never have the ability to come back if it wasn't for Jesus' death on the cross. That made it possible for us to return to God and make that decision. And the story of the prodigal son is a story of every one of us, man or woman, young or old, rich or poor. That's my story, and that's your story. 
The question is, where am I and where are you in this unfolding story of my life or your life? Because I think in this room there will be people in different places. There will be some people that have returned back to the Father's house. And there will be some people who are still far away from home. And maybe you're in a state where you're not, you've just ruined yourself, but you don't know what to do with it. And this is God's voice through the voice of Jesus and through the story that he tells us through Luke's gospel, saying there's a way back. There's a chance to come out of ruin into redemption. Others of us probably have begun to wake up and think, okay, I can remember home. I, I know I've got a longing to come home, but I don't know how to go about it. And maybe this morning is that sense of here are the guiding posts. You can come home. But you must do something about it. Most of the people that stay with the pigs in that poverty, in that destitution, are there because of two things. And I want to name them this morning. And I want to say both of them are lies. Number one is pride. And some of you have got messed up relationships in your life. My mom doesn't listen to this, so I can say it. My mom's mom died when she was nine years old. Within three weeks, another woman moved into the house. When the woman moved into the house, my granddad started beating savagely my mom's brother. And within weeks, he had to get out of the house. It didn't take many weeks before mom was sent away to some relatives. My mom hated her dad. Hated her dad for the way she treated her mom and her memory. He didn't, wasn't even bother to pay for the grave that she was put in. My, grand on, my granddad only saw me once in his life when he drunkenly dared to come and see him, me and mom wouldn't let him. Families and relationships are really messed up. Really messed up. And mom was very proudful. She said, I don't want to have anything to do with this man. I cannot tell you how much regret she has now that he has passed away quite a few years ago now. She regrets not having forgiven him and telling him that. Because she was proud. And she would say that to you. And she would say, don't be like that. And pride can keep us there like the prodigal son in there with the pigs just because you don't want to come home and admit you've done wrong towards God. That's what I think keeps most people away from God. They just don't want to say, I've screwed up. I've messed up. Because pride is saying, don't admit it. Don't say it. The other one is the very opposite. And it's shame. Some people are saying, I can't go back to dad because he will never have me. I know what I've done. I'm not, I, I know what a mess I am. I know how much pain I've caused. I know all the embarrassment, but I just can't. I, I can't. I can't do that to them. I don't have any rights. And both pride and shame needs to be silenced. And you need to say to them, I'm not having that, and I'm not having that. And I'm just going to go home. That's what the son did. He didn't care about the pride. He didn't care about the shame. He said, I'm just going to go home. 
I know what that is like. And this is what we've seen here. That's your father in heaven. That's who is waiting for you. Not a God who wants to punish you. Not a God who wants to lecture you. Yes, a God who wants to hear that you know you've sinned because it's real. But a God who will welcome you home. That's the picture of the father that Jesus is painting and he's inviting us in. So this morning, I want to say to us three things as, as, as a takeaway for this. I can't put it any, any, any simpler. Come home. This week, it's been a tough week having the privilege of being at the bedside of two of our church family members who passed away. But particularly, I think of Ken. He used to sit around there. Ken's been coming to church all his life. But he never, ever, ever knowingly did what this young man did. Get up from where he was and come home. He never surrendered his life to Jesus. And every time I would preach, I would pray, God... Just speak to Ken's heart. Help him to make that decision to surrender his life to. I know he's a fantastic guy. He's a good guy. He's a loving guy. He's a caring guy. I know he comes to church every Sunday, but he never, ever did this. Until a few months ago, where we got a phone call from Joan saying, out of the blue, Ken said to me, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. You know what? I don't know where we all are spiritually, but I've got a suspicion there are some Kens in this room this morning. And I just want to say to you, on God's behalf with God's voice, come home now. Don't wait for years. Don't keep coming to church and sit on the fence because of pride or shame. Just come home. And this morning is a good time to do that. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. As we finish, be thankful. You know, we're having communion this morning. It's so easy for it just to be a a thing that we do. Instead, we should be those prodigals that have come home, that have realized that we've got a father who embraced us. And every single time we drink that cup and eat that bread, we are proclaiming, I am an worthy, rebellious son of God who has found the embrace of the father who has welcomed into his family. Is there anything better in this world than that? I don't think so. So let's celebrate it. Let's be humbled again and filled with joy and hope because we are the beloved rebels who have come home and found the embrace of the Father. And because this is so good, can we not tell others? This is what being a missional person is about, is allowing the overflow of what is so good about God that we know, we've tasted it. It's not a spiel, it's not a sell, it's reality. If it's so good, it's worth telling others. And this morning, as Jesus through the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures grabs hold of our hearts again, let's pray, God, just fill me again with that sense of wonder so that whoever I meet, 
they will know that I am a prodigal, rebellious son or daughter who found a loving father who welcomes people like me. And that welcome is for them too. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the incredible teaching of the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for the powerful reminder this morning of who you are and how that relates to our lives. And this morning particularly, first and foremost, I want to pray for anybody here who would say really honestly, I haven't come home, but I want to get home. And this morning, if this is you, we're all praying, so nobody's looking around. It'd be just me. I really want to ask you, if you want to put your hand up, I want to pray for you. If you say to me this morning, I would just love to start my journey home. I'm sick and tired of where I am. And the thought of receiving God's forgiveness, embrace, new life, the fullness that he has for me, is just such a call that I can't resist. If this is you, would you just put your hand up so I can see it and pray for you this morning? Father God. I just thank you that you're longing to meet with us and you're longing to take us on this wonderful journey ahead. And I pray those who have put their hand up or they are crying out in their heart saying, this is me, this is me. I pray that they will know your help in going forward and receiving that new life. I pray that you'll give them forgiveness I pray that you will bring your fullness into their life. And I pray that you will use them to be those people who will proclaim how good you are to everyone around them. For all of us, Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. My heart gets cold. The wonderful love of Jesus just becomes often so dim. The things of this world become so strong and the truth of his love for us becomes so dull. Lord, let us not be filled with a sense of dullness at the marvelous, sacrificial, undeserved love of Christ. May this morning be a catalyst for worship and holiness and witness as Holy Spirit, you fill our lives afresh with a sense of gratitude at your wonderful mercy and love. Amen. Let us stand together and sing.